0: Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. I know there's not, um, you know, there's a lot still going on in college football, but I did tweet Nick or text Nick yesterday to see if he was watching the Chiefs and Bills game. And uh, because the whole weekend of the NFL was amazing. Um, and you said you watched the end of the Chiefs Bills game. So you at least got to see that part of, of the divisional round. Right. I saw
1: some NFL football this weekend, but I'll, i admit I, I uh, didn't watch very much of it. I, I should, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not trying to be, uh, you know, I, I don't mean anything. Not, not trying not, to be not. a snob uh, about the right, NFL. Right. Yeah, I, I just happen to, to not, you know, it's not super high on my priorities, this, but yeah, sure. Sure. But, but I should, because I have noticed like for a while, I felt like I could get away with it a little bit because stylistically at least, I mean, I mean, I can't argue that the NFL, uh, is not a better product in some ways. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, the best of the best, most talented players, all that good stuff. Um, but for a while, at least the college game, schematically was a little bit ahead or at least it felt like more often than not was a little bit ahead of, of the NFL. So I could get away with it a little bit. Uh, it was, you know, we were talking about pro style offense and in some ways it was kind of a disparaging term. Right. But it meant boring. Yeah. Right. Right. But now that's not really the case. And by me actively not watching the NFL, you know, I, I, I am missing out on football knowledge and just understanding of of kind of what's going on and maybe what direction the game is going in. So it is something that, uh, you know, sometimes I say it kind of flippantly, like, oh yeah, I don't really watch the NFL. Uh, but it's it's now something where I am feeling like I am missing out a little bit on it. So I'll, I'll try, we'll see. I don't know if I, I don't know if, you know, I'll, I'll this time next year, be uh, an NFL watcher on a regular basis, but uh but I do understand that I'm missing out by not doing it and I, I probably should. Uh, but yes, I, I saw a little bit of the, the NFL this past weekend, but uh but not a whole lot. So I did miss out on apparently a good chunk of the, the best uh playoff weekend in history. I, I have to admit.
0: It was it was amazing. I mean they had said during the, the Chiefs Bills games that the biggest uh, margin or the smallest margin of victory uh in a divisional round was 18 points i think they said in like uh 1995 or something uh and it was nine going into uh the the late game because all those other games had ended on a field goal ended by three points apiece and then this one was a touchdown in overtime so we had these the thinnest winning margin in divisional round history xavier and xavier and i will exchange um uh, memes on Instagram yes, a bunch, and my favorite one—I'm not—I can't remember if I sent it to you or not. But my favorite one of this weekend is the only thing that can stop Patrick Mahomes is Cliff Kingsbury as his yes. coach. That was mm-hmm. my absolute favorite one. So, uh, but uh, I mean, I know you were watching the weekend. And it, it was a lot of fun, man. And you know, look. A lot of college stars, man. Mahomes was a college star, right? Uh, Joe Burrow was absolutely a college star. So was Chase. Uh, Stafford played at at Georgia, you know. Um, So uh, you guys probably have some rooting interest there. So uh, it it was a fun weekend. Uh, If we're not going to get college football and no national championship games, at least we can enjoy some NFL football. But So while we were watching the NFL, stuff was going on in the background uh, in college football. Obviously, it was pretty close that June Jones is going to be the coach of Hawaii, but it ended up being Timmy Chang. So Nick uh, fill us in on uh, Timmy Chang and what we think about this hire for Hawaii.
1: Yeah. So the, this is the 29th uh, first year head coach in this cycle for, uh, you know, FBS coaching changes, which we were just talking a little bit uh, off air that next week we're going to be having our, our third annual now uh, first year head coach draft and you know, last year felt like a pretty crazy uh, cycle, and there were seventeen new head coaches this year, there are twenty nine already, and assuming that that uh, you know that will be the end of it. hopefully it will. um but. Yeah, Timmy Chang we mentioned is a a possible uh, kind of name to watch. This time last week we went pretty in depth talking about Hawaii. We don't need to rehash all of that, but uh, we mentioned that you know thought it was probably pretty likely that they would go for someone with some strong ties to the program. And Timmy Chang was a record setting quarterback there when by time he and he played under June Jones played in the run and shoot under June Jones but uh, over five seasons he was a starter for four years and and uh, had a an injury redshirt year but he still threw for over a thousand yards in in that uh, extra year Uh, finished with an NCAA record at the time 17,072 yards so he was kind of the first big name you know Hawaii quarterback Uh, did go on to Uh, you know, become a college coach, obviously. He was a uh, graduate assistant for June Jones at SMU, and then pretty quickly got an offensive coordinator role. He was the offensive coordinator for a couple of years at Jackson State at the FCS level, uh, and then one year in Division II at Emory & Henry. But since then, and, and that was in, you know, he was at Jackson State from 2014 to 2015, or was it Emory and Henry in 2016, but he had been on Jay Norvell's staff since. And so at the FBS level and at Nevada uh, during that time, and and then very, very recently, but not, of course, in the the, uh, season at Colorado state, he'd been only a position coach, either a wide receiver or tight end coach. And so, you know, from a, a resume standpoint, when you're thinking, you know, FBS head coach, to go for a guy who's never been uh, one at a, you know, he's, he's only been at a G5 program or below, not necessarily, you know, means he's, he's not going to succeed. But you think, okay, somebody who's not even been a coordinator at the FBS level, um, it, it, you think maybe uh, you would hope if you were Hawaii that you'd be able to get somebody with a little more experience for what we. Discussed was uh, in a lot of ways a, a pretty difficult job, but it seems like you know getting back to sort of the the roots of the program, getting somebody who you know loves Hawaii, uh, spent a lot of time there, is very familiar with it, was the most important thing. And June Jones might have been kind of the the best of all worlds because he's been a head coach many times over at a lot of different levels but also has those strong ties as the the winningest head coach in school history and you know really oversaw sort of the the glory days there but it didn't work out with him obviously it sounded like the in the negotiations there was a a, a kind of a strong feeling that Timmy Chang would be part of uh June Jones's staff if he you know had had uh gotten the job if they were able to work out those details but obviously it didn't Cheng is hired and, you know, ready or not, he's going to be uh, the head coach at at Hawaii next year. So it'll be, you know, probably a a pretty steep learning curve for somebody who hasn't had a, 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 you know, coordinator role at the FBS level. Um, We don't exactly know what the offense is going to look like. It sounds like uh, there will be some run and shoot emphasis, the Nevada, you know, under under Jay Norvell, they were an air raid based uh, offensive system. So I would expect, you know, we we can think Hawaii is going to throw the ball quite a bit. But tried to to go back and find what did the offenses look like at Jackson State and Emory and Henry. And at Jackson State, there were you know pretty pass heavy. Uh, at Emory and Henry, it was it was uh, a little more balanced. But both you know both teams had pretty strong offenses. Uh, when, when Timmy Chang was calling the plays there. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And as far as, you know, resume wise, maybe not the perfect choice, but background wise, uh, he he was toward the top of everybody's list immediately when this job came open because of his ties to the program. And so from, from that perspective, it it makes a lot of sense. And certainly, uh, you know, hope it'll, it'll work out for all involved.
0: Xavier, what do you think about the Chang hire at Hawaii? I mean, you know uh seems like a pretty decent one uh but they kind of wanted Jones so what do you think I think it's a great hire I think June Jones for me was going to be a little bit too I think if you
2: hire June Jones you're almost expecting you guys to get back to relevancy rather quickly and we had talked about last week how I felt like they needed somebody to come in who's going to buy in immediately and we also know that yeah June Jones would have bought it you know bought in immediately obviously he was there during the golden ages or the golden days excuse me of, of Hawaii but I think by getting Timmy Chang, you also are now being, you know, assured that he will be there for a while. I think that also you're looking at a guy who can coach for a while as well. He's only 40 years of age. There's no there's never going to be talk about retirement with him at any point. You know, I'm not saying that June Jones would have retired anytime soon. But I always feel like when you get an older coach like that, you're always kind of worried about, you know, if he doesn't get instant success, is he ready to just, you know, Go and, you know, put his toes in the sand and be done. You know, Timmy Chang is a guy who's really got to prove to the rest of, you know, not only to Hawaii, but the rest of the country that this was not not a a bad move from Hawaii. And this is a guy who grew up there. He was from Honolulu. You know, obviously he played at Hawaii as well, played in the league for a couple of years. The NFL is what I mean by that, as well as the CFL, too. Like, this is a guy who has experience and can come into the locker room day one and be like, hey, I got to where you guys want to get to from here. You know what I'm saying? From this school, I was able to get to the NFL. I was able to get to the CFL. You know, and, you know, I was the best quarterback maybe in Hawaii history up until Cole Brennan came through. So, like, this is an opportunity for him to, I think, re, you know, reinvigor a, a team in a, in a school that has really, you know, been much maligned over the last couple of years. And I think he, in, in particular, is going to have an opportunity to do, to do so because of the fact that this is a pretty much a blank slate for him. You know, like Nick said, this is his first head coaching position. You know, this is just, this odyssey was probably a job he didn't think he was going to get for at least another four or five years with more, you know, with, with as Nick was alluding to, maybe more, some, some more, maybe assistant head coaching positions and things like that, maybe under his belt before moving here. This has got to be at least up there as a possible dream job for him. And I think that when you look at it that way, he's going to come in there on fire. He's going to come in there ready to go day one. He's going to be trying to get Hawaii back to relevancy back to competitiveness in their conference and put out a, a good product. And I think when you get a guy, you know, that is from the uh from the state that you know your school is in, I think, and also an alumni, I think you're seeing that being a trendy type of thing around college football recently is going back and getting some alum is getting an alumni as head coaches, you know, obviously with the recent success in Kirby Smarter, Georgia and things like that. I think it, it does lend itself, you, you do lend yourself immediately to the fans when you do get a guy who has such great and fond memories. And every time they play on television, they're gonna show highlights of Timmy Chang in a Hawaii Jersey, right? Like this is just gonna be so hell. Every time Georgia plays on CBS, we somehow get a Kirby Smart clip that we haven't seen before at Georgia, <laughs> right? Like the same thing's gonna go for a guy in Timmy Chang who owned all the statistical records at Hawaii by the time he left. So, like you, that is going to endear himself with the rest of the with the university and with people who love Hawaii football and with the kids as well. Because once again, like I said, he can tell all the kids. Not only did I go to school here, but I was born here, raised here and was able to get to the league and be able to get the experiences that I've had. So there's no saying that you can't do the same because I did it. And I think that's always, you know, as a kid at 18 years old, looking up to somebody who I made, you know, who I watched on television would be something really, really, you know, really nice. And also on top of that, it's something that, you know, you can't really say. Like all the time when you're a player in college, you look towards the coaches that have the experiences in which you want to have. So what better coach to look towards that has been to the NFL? from the school that you're currently at and from the state that you currently live in. Like, that's just, I I think the best possible bit, uh, you know, so I really like the fact that they went and got Timmy Chang. I think it's going to be, I I, I like the move for him in particular as well.
0: Now we also had a lot of action in the transfer portal and um, you know, we've got signing day coming up pretty, uh, pretty quick here too. But a lot of these moves are huge and, Uh, Let's just start out in the SEC with Georgia and Georgia lost a lot. Uh, We'll talk about Bama, who gained some in a little bit here. But starting out with Georgia, Nick, um, you know, two starters from the National Championship squad transferred uh, on Sunday. Wide receiver Jermaine Burton. Uh, caught 26 uh, passes for 497 yards, five touchdowns in 2021, 20, went to Alabama. And then safety Latavius Brainy is headed to Arkansas. He had 38 tackles, two and a half uh, for losses, and eight pass breakups. So uh, he was great. They also lost a backup cornerback in uh, LaVasia Carroll. Uh, they also had uh, wide receivers and DBs transfer to Florida, Michigan State, Mississippi State. And, um, I mean, it's just been... You know, you you win the national championship, and it seems like it's been a little bit of a downhill uh, spin since then, as far as losing guys. So, uh, how concerned should the dogs be going into 2022 here with these losses? So,
1: I, I'm not overly concerned because I think Georgia. You know, in addition to these guys, of course, they're going to have a lot of, of uh, NFL draft picks to replace, but. It's interesting to me, the losses specifically at the receiver position and in the secondary have been, I think, a little bit more than we would expect um, as far as just numbers go. But then also, you know, last year, Georgia had several receivers transfer out. But the places they ended up, you know, Old Dominion, North Texas, Uh, You know, one ended up at Auburn, but it was that's his his third uh, school. And, you know, Auburn was kind of in desperate need of of, uh, some uh, receiver help last year. But, you know, those aren't necessarily ideal landing spots Uh, this year. We're seeing guys transfer from Georgia, whether it's the receiver position, you know, specifically, obviously losing uh, one to Alabama, where. All thoughts are, you know, Alabama probably going to be the the best or has now the inside track maybe to be that top target for Alabama next year. Um, losing a guy who ends up at Mississippi State, another SEC rival. Uh, talking about in the secondary, you know, programs in the the division, you know, in the SEC East, rival programs, Florida. And South Carolina, and then also lose a guy to Michigan State who was, you know, they played in a power or uh, a uh, New Year's Six Bowl last year. So you're getting guys leaving Georgia who not only were starters in the case of, you know, Brenny, the, the safety, as you mentioned, and, and Burton at receiver, but you know, would have been even the guys a little lower on the list because of all the NFL departures. These are going to be guys who probably were going to be competing for significant playing time so a lot of the transfer names you know non-quarterbacks i guess uh because it seems like those have just been you know on the move without stopping for uh, uh the last year or more but it seems to me at least at first glance in most cases guys who enter in the transfer portals because or you know because they want more playing time or maybe want to get closer to home or both this is just a little you know it's striking to me a little bit because these are guys who were starters for the national championships, uh, or have the potential to be, you know, starters for the defending national champions and they're still moving on. So I'm, I, you know, I'm sure there are some details I'm missing on, on these guys in particular, uh, but it's just interesting to me and I'm not overly worried, but it's, you know, it makes me kind of do a double take a little bit when you're losing guys who it's not because you missed and they're not, uh, you know, as talented as you thought or as capable as you thought or, or whatever, but they're missing or, or, excuse me, they're deciding, hey, you know, we're going to leave. We've got other options that, yeah, we, we could stay at Georgia and probably play, probably play a lot. But this other place is a better fit for me right now. It's just, you know, it, it catches my eye a little bit more
0: maybe than I would have expected for the defending national champions. Yeah, Xavier, what's going on here? Well, why do you think uh, we've we've seen so many players transfer out? Like Nick said, you already have to replace a lot just in, you know, mm-hmm. NFL draft stuff. Uh, so, you know, replacing these guys that were expected to start is a bit surprising for a team that did just win the title.
2: I think what you're seeing here, more importantly, I think you're seeing maybe the writing on the wall for a lot of the guys. You know, Georgia, <clears throat> Kirby Smart in particular, has brought in probably one of the best defensive back classes he's had at Georgia um, in this past year. And I think a lot of people feel like, and especially those guys who were close to starting like, uh, like Breeney who played a lot of, who played uh, significant snaps and sub, sub packages, Uh, even like guys like Jalen Kimber who didn't play as much, but that was due to injury. That these guys are getting out of there, and they're saying to themselves, "I want to go play in a place where I know I'm going to play." And I'm not necessarily saying that all of these guys are running away from competition. Uh, Carroll is another one, uh, but I, I think when you is look he, at so, it, so
1: sorry to interrupt. Is Carol mm-hmm? is Carol transferring? I couldn't, I didn't see. I couldn't pinpoint evidence. whether or not because it was, he wants to play running back. Or I don't
2: 100 know. Okay. okay, I think maybe that might be an opportunity that they give him at. South Carolina, which is my one of the one of the reasons, obviously I would have left if I was him as well. But yeah, he's, he's a little purpose, bit
1: different because he came yeah. in as a running back, got moved kind of out of necessity. So I, I failed to mention that. Sorry.
2: Mm-hmm. No, no, you're fine. And they they could use some depth at running back at South Carolina. So it wouldn't be surprising if he was going to there to, you know, to, to, to compete for a job there as well. So I, I think that when when you're looking at the rest of the secondary, you're looking at a lot of fringe guys, right? You're looking at a ton of guys who just couldn't push their way into the starting lineup. And I think a lot of kids are feeling to themselves if they can't push their way into the starting role in two years, you know, except barring Jalen Kimber, they're getting out of there. They're making sure that wherever they go, they're going to start day one when they step on campus and then they're not necessarily having to fight for a job. That's kind of what ends up happening when you bring in such elite recruiting classes that some kids don't feel the need to stay and fight for a position. Uh, And they feel like there's greener pastures and not necessarily because they think the other place is better, but the other place is better for them to play. Uh, You know, Justin Robinson's another one, obviously the one, you know, that went to Mississippi state a couple of weeks or a week or so ago, another situation like that. He's a fringe guy who I think Kirby likes, but, wasn't getting on the field enough for himself. And he knows that Mississippi state, he'll start right away. A mere speed, same situation. You know, he played in the national championship game. You know, this is a guy who who played for us in a ton of sub packages, but maybe he's, you know, he wants to see more of a DB one as role. A lot of these guys are trying to get to the NFL. And when that happens, sub package guys are not the guys you look at are not NFL scouts looking at most of the time. They want to see DB one and DB two. And so if you can't be one of those guys, on a team like Georgia, then you move elsewhere where you can be defensive back one or defensive back number two and make your mark in that range because I don't you know I'm I'm in I'm in the draft room a lot when it comes to getting close to the draft, but I don't think there's a lot of people who are like, oh yeah, you know, the nickel corner for Pittsburgh, that's a guy we should definitely look at. Like I don't that's just something that I, I think these kids understand and they're moving out of that range immediately rather than waiting to see what could happen in the spring slash summer slash fall especially when you saw that Georgia also had I think it was like 23 early enrollees like kids are coming in quickly these kids are making sure that they're out of high school and they, they can uh, enroll early from the from the time that they sign on early signing day and when that's the case then you're not even getting that you know if you're a you know a senior leading guy you're not even getting that spring to prove the coaches hey, I might be able to be that guy before the freshmen get in. The freshmen are like, hey, I'm right there with you. We're going to compete for the rest of the year, which is something that, I'll be honest with you, if I was a junior or senior and I had one or two years left of, left of eligibility, I don't want to necessarily do that. I want to go in and make, get to a place where I know I can play right away and my dream of the NFL can stay alive.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great point to make, and, and that is why you're going to see a lot of guys shift, not just from uh, big schools like Georgia, but um, you know they're, they're going to go – uh, to a place where they think they can you know, get more playing time, which means more eyes on them, which means an NFL possibility. So uh, Alabama is having the opposite uh, offseason that Georgia is having. They are stacking transfers in the transfer portal, Also some guys leaving, but uh, mainly what we have to talk about is the additions here, and Jermaine Burton went there. So now Alabama has... Arguably added the first, the RB one, Jameer Gibbs, the cornerback one in Eli Ricks and the best wide receiver transfer uh, in Burton as well. So, um, you know, obviously that's going to give them a big boost in the receiver room. And uh, I think the big question here is between Bama and Georgia, because Georgia is losing things and Bama is adding things. Is Alabama going to be the unquestioned number one going into 2022, Nick, in your opinion? Do you think it's definitely going to be Bama, or do you think Georgia still has an argument, or is there somebody else that is going to push both of them to be the number one team in the country uh, before, obviously, we see the product on the field in 2022? I,
1: I think Alabama has to be. You know, I, I've, I pretty much uh, would guarantee they'll be our number one in our – Uh, team strength power rankings just you know you're bringing back a maximum rated quarterback the heisman trophy winner uh you're losing some significant players at at skill positions but as you mentioned they're replacing those guys not only with you know five-star recruits uh which is what alabama had done for a decade or more and you know so you're always kind of like oh well yeah they've got these questions but the next guy's you know supposed to be a a superstar freshmen. So they're probably going right. to be okay. Or the backup was a, you know, five-star guy. So it's probably going to be okay. Well, not only do they still have those types of guys, I mean, the receiver core, they've got three, four, you know, high, high four-star rated guys uh, and maybe a five-star or two in there. If, if uh, Joe Joe Earls, I think maybe a five-star, uh, but yeah, the, the, you know, they're adding established, productive college players uh, so they're kind of almost skipping that step of any uncertainty as to whether or not you know that next crop is going to be able to come in and, and fill the holes of uh the production or, or whatever it is of guys who are leaving and so it's yeah I I think Alabama will be a stronger number one this year maybe than we've seen in recent years uh, I think the gap might be a little bit bigger than uh you know, in, in our short history of four or five years of doing what we're doing, there's always been a little bit of a cluster together of, of two or three teams uh, that are kind of competing for that number one preseason spot. And last year, Georgia was almost a co number one. We've had Ohio state, you know, in that conversation before. And I think Ohio state's actually the the biggest challenger to Alabama for that kind of preseason number one spot. But yeah, I mean it's interesting to me that Alabama's is there's no question, you know. Yeah, they lost number 1 running back, no problem. They get the best guy on the market who's already had two incredible years, you know, really productive years for a not very good team. And then oh, they're going to be losing their top, you know, three wide receivers. No problem. We saw last year they uh, got a guy who wasn't even starting at his previous school uh, or he was starting, but wasn't, you know, the top uh, one of the top two guys, Jameson Williams, and he becomes a superstar might be the first receiver. You know, if he, if he had stayed fully healthy, seemed like he was going to be in the conversation for first receiver picked in the draft. And then, you know, they, they get a guy like Jermaine Burton, who it's interesting, something I didn't bring up in the, the Georgia conversation Burton, you know, on paper, you think, oh wow, starting receiver for the national champions, probably going to be the number one receiver next year, uh, or at least number one ride, wide receiver. Wow, you know, why why is that guy moving? Well, this I think, yeah, NFL draft going to be in a, a better or at least more proven offense for utilizing you know that type of talent at, at wide receiver. He played at Georgia, you know, had some success there, but wasn't anywhere close to being, you know, a thousand yard receiver, getting a hundred targets, something like that. Uh, It's going to be completely different if he's able to go in, prove he needs to be the go-to guy in that Alabama offense. Then he's got an opportunity to, you know, skyrocket his value like Jamison Williams did, who was kind of a forgotten guy at Ohio state comes to Alabama. Like I mentioned, pushed himself into the, uh, you know, first round conversation. That could certainly be Jermaine Burton, so I, I see it. I guess with with him specifically, so that's part of the reason why I, I don't necessarily, um, you know, uh, I mean, I'm getting off on on a tangent there. I forgot, what I was <laughs> but uh, you know, Burton Burton leaving Georgia. Okay, I understand. I mean, yeah, it, it's it's it seems a little strange when you when you read the headline: Jermaine Burton transfers. Uh, But, hey, you get an opportunity to go to Alabama and be the number one guy and maybe be, you know, put yourself in that first round conversation because of, you know, the position that they're going to put you in. Okay, I understand that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, Alabama, it's it's interesting. It's kind of like, you know, a few years ago. Uh, or I guess it's been a decade maybe now, uh, who knows. But when Nick <laughs> Saban said, uh, you know, is this what we want co- football to be talking about the up-tempo offense, no huddle, all that sort of stuff. And now, you know, we all know, okay, he was just warning everybody. It's that now we're, we're in that with the transfer portal as well. You're like, okay, yeah, you want to open it up. And and I, for one, am all for uh, players getting the opportunity to put themselves in, in their best position but now, you know, Alabama is going to have their, their chance to pick and choose uh, not just the five stars they want coming out of high school, but the guys who, you know, have gone somewhere else and proven, you know, that they could be uh, the top guy in the country at their specific position, but, you know, determined that Alabama is a better uh, spot for them for that, you know, junior year or, or what have you. Um, it's it's moving toward Alabama being maybe the most dominant number one that I can remember. And I don't have specific numbers on it quite yet, but I just, it's pointing in that direction that any roster question they have, they're going to be able to, to fill it with a guy who's, if not the the best at their position available, uh, one of the top options. And I should say, George is probably going to have an opportunity to do something, Similar. I mean, they're going to go in and fill a spot or two in the secondary. They might, you know, get a uh, receiver. They might pick and choose some uh, big time guys as well. But Alabama, I think, is making, you know, kind of kind of uh, putting their foot down here and, and saying we're going to get if there's a, a premium guy and elite guy available and we could use a little help with that position, we're going to we're going to grab him and, and it's probably going to pay off.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, been a crazy good run for Bama here, uh, you know, uh, kind of the opposite. Are Do you do you worry about this as a Georgia fan, Xavier, with, with Bama getting all these guys? I mean, obviously, the recruiting class is going to be great for Georgia, as it always is, but it usually is for Alabama, too. And like Nick said, you know, through his ratings and a lot of people, are, they're just automatically going to put Bama at that number one spot. Do you think that's fair? And is that something that um, you would do, too, if you were making those types of uh, preseason rankings?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, with the moves that Bama's made, obviously, I think they were probably going to go in as the number one team in the country coming in the next year anyways. Uh, but he's obviously just add fuel to those, you know, those rocket ships of people who are going to put them at preseason number one. Uh, but I, I think when you look at Bama, one of the things that by going into the transfer portal – it's a it's a win-lose situation for I think the most dominant teams in the country. And it always will be. Because as you bring in guys like a Jermaine Burton, like a Jameer Gibbs, like these guys, then more than likely, and unless you know Nick Saban is the guru of keeping kids, and we'll see this over the next two, three years, you're gonna get kids out of that that go to that school that leave, that are gonna feel like, okay, well. If you're going to bring in a Jermaine Burton, that's going to take minutes away from me. So I'm going to go ahead and leave and, and, you know, use my experience elsewhere. And it's going to have a backfiring effect on everybody. And I think that that's kind of just the way this goes. Like if you bring in a guy of Jermaine Burton's caliber, Jameer Gibbs caliber and freshman and sophomore on that team who may have been, you know, somebody who you could you know, rely on this year are going to feel the need to, at the very least, test the waters and see what's out there for them before, you know, they, they waste another year under your, you know, under, you know, playing for you or not playing for you, excuse me. So I'm not necessarily worried about it. Jermaine Burton going to Alabama. Once again, I think it is great for Jermaine and I'm happy for him. You know, maybe it's me being the, you know, after national championship, I just don't care where anybody goes at this point. I'm like, we got us one go. Hey, you you can transfer to Georgia tech for all I care. Do what you want to do. Uh, But you know, I genuinely think that when you look at the moves that Alabama has made, for me, it doesn't it doesn't push the pendulum that much more than they already than they already had, right? They're bringing back Bryce Young. That that's enough for me, you know. And they're bringing back most of that offensive line. They're bringing back Will Anderson, probably the best defensive player in football. That for me had the pendulum as dim as the number one team in the you country could, you already. Could, you could drop the word defensive, right? Yeah, just fair, fair, yeah, no, fair. Yeah. exactly. Like that 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 was enough for me. So you bring in Jameer Gibbs, great. You bring in Jermaine Burton, great. But like. You already had these guys coming back. So, like, for me as, as a neutral fan, yeah, you know, you obviously look at it and you go, wow, you know, they're able to bring in some of the elite talent in, in college football. And if they needed a quarterback, hell, Caleb Williams might have gone there. But, like, ultimately it didn't move the pendulum any more for me than it already had with them bringing back the pieces that they already had. You know saying? You know, you watch that national championship game and you realize a lot of the people on that team, that were making plays in that second half were freshmen right like that's another thing you look at the fact that you know we're talking about will anderson but dallas turner might be equally as good in a couple of years right like these these are all things that alabama already has about them that you look at last year's team and you go okay they came up a, a pick six short of a national championship and they just added two great pieces. They, so they're already one of the best teams in, in college football, not the best team coming into this year anyways. So, you know, because they're returning, so, they're probably the, the most important talent in college football when you talk about Will Anderson and Bryce Young. So for me, these transfer moves don't really change my mindset on where Alabama is coming into the year. I think they're already the best team in the country coming into this year. Um, and, you know, these these moves are to also be seen how good they go because as good as Jermaine Burton was at Georgia, I don't. He's not. I, and this is no slight to Jermaine Burton, but he's not Jamison Williams. In the fact that he's like four-two guy who just was on the bench at Ohio State. Like we've get, we've seen Jermaine Burton play. A good amount. And we've been able to see him at his best and at his and his low lights as well, where we felt that Jameson Williams was more of like this hidden gym that Ohio State was just leaving on a bench of plethora of receivers that they already had. Uh, So, you know, Jameer Gibbs probably moved the pendulum a little bit more for me than Jermaine Burton has to be perfectly honest at, at this point.
0: Now, um, USC has added some uh, Mm -hmm. talent here as well, Nick, and uh, two big-time running backs. they got Travis Dye from Oregon and uh, Austin Jones from Stanford. Uh, A couple linebackers and DBs, but I know that you think that they should be adding to other parts of this team, particularly both the offensive and defensive line, correct? That's sort of my
1: first thought. I mean, or I guess maybe second thought, because you look at the running backs like, wow, they got two of the – you know, better or at least highest rated the way we calculate things running backs in the PAC 12 to transfer to USC, you know, Lincoln Riley and and his new coaching staff are going out and making some splashy, uh, you know, bring, bringing guys in who are creating a little more buzz than uh, maybe we've seen in, in recent years at USC through the transfer portal. And they had some, you know, they had some transfers, in the last few years as well. But I mean, we're obviously every day uh, we don't even know yet if Caleb Williams is going to end up there, but that would be the biggest um, potential, you know, land being able to land the the biggest name in the transfer portal. Uh, Is it going to be USC or or LSU for him? Um, They, we talked last week, multiple receivers coming in and, and have the potential perhaps in the, you know, new offense to be highly, highly productive. They're doing some interesting things in the secondary. I mean, you know, Georgia's is going to going to need to uh, probably add a piece or two. But USC has, you know, scooped up Makai Blackman, who is a starter at Colorado and a, a pretty decent player. Uh, Latrell McCutcheon, who had been at Oklahoma and was, uh, you know, played a significant role as a true freshman last year. Both of those guys are are on their way to. USC, and they've added some pieces here, there at, at you know linebacker and um, uh, edge rusher Romello height from Auburn, kind of an intriguing name. But yeah, the the offensive line maybe a little more so. They brought in some defensive linemen Earl Barkett from TCU and Tyrone Tallini from Kansas State, but not quite the star power of what we're seeing, you know, skill position wise. And that makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, most, most offensive and defensive linemen aren't necessarily uh, big names or, or have a lot of star power anyway. And they did get a starting tackle from Virginia in, in uh, Bobby Haskins, who has a, a bright future, has been uh, you know, a, a guy that, that's played a lot of football and probably will help. But the biggest thing to me, these lines, the offensive line at USC last year, and this has been a multi-year problem, but last year they ranked 107th in our offensive line performance ratings. The defensive line also ranked 107th, and they have maybe – and you know Drake Jackson kind of plays a similar role to Will Anderson where we have him listed as a defensive lineman. Maybe he's more of a linebacker or, or vice versa. Uh, but with a guy who has you know, first-round talent and they have an interior you know, nose tackle, uh, Tuli Tuopu, who is an all-conference performer – and they still ranked 107th in defensive line performance. So they they those are two areas I think where there was an even bigger need of upgrading and you know adding depth, adding guys who are going to compete for starting spots. You know they they USC had some talented playmakers or at least some you know skill position guys who uh, haven't quite reached their full ceiling yet. They had some guys on hand that that they'd be able to you know plug in and, and uh put together a solid offense or a you know uh or what have you, but they need to fix the offensive line. So I'm I'm a little bit concerned, you know, what's that gonna look like? I, w- I would if I were USC, and because again, you know, looking ahead to next year's power rankings, you know, USC coming off a of four and eight season, they're 60th in our postseason rankings. Usually I wouldn't be Super concerned that we're going to overrate them the following year, but because they're bringing in a lot of you know big time transfers, and especially if they hit uh, Caleb Williams at quarterback, USC I, I can guarantee it is going to pop up in our top twenty. You know, they might even end up as our number one Pac-12 team just because if they're accumulating all these guys who are highly rated, and then USC. Yeah, they've had some some uh bumpiness the last couple of years recruiting wise, but they still have highly rated guys on both the offensive and defensive line. I think the talent numbers are going to be so that, you know, USC could again be the Pac-12 champ and they're probably going to be a trendy pick as well because a lot of people, you know, like Lincoln Riley, like the offense that he put together at Oklahoma, and are kind of going to get caught up. And oh, are they you know winning the off season, bringing in these guys as, as transfers? But I do have that concern. You know, are we going to overrate them, especially if they don't do enough to address what seem to be the two biggest weaknesses on the team—that offensive and defensive line. So it's just it's something to watch. And and you know, they're not done. Obviously, adding transfers. Uh, I would expect they'll, you know, make it a good effort to uh, improve both lines of scrimmage uh, or improve along the line of scrimmage on both sides. But it it is something that is going to need to be addressed if USC is going to avoid being, you know, that overrated preseason team again. And it, it's certainly something we've seen and, and has
0: the potential to happen again in 2022. And Xavier, what do you think? You think, uh, USC will be able to add enough, or do you think they're going to go into twenty twenty two overrated again?
2: Like Nick? Oh, absolutely. Especially if <laughs> Caleb Williams ends up walking on campus, I think this is a team that you're looking at at the beginning of the year. If Caleb Williams obviously ends up going there, which we all think is going to happen, this might be a team that genuinely is ranked in the top twelve at the preseason, and wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if you know six weeks into the year they're four and two. Just to be honest, you know. And I think it's because of what Nick said. I think. You know, there's, they're, they're putting makeup on a pig, to be honest with you, with, all these, with a lot of these moves. And they're not fixing the genuine issue of the reasons why every year you end up losing to a Utah or why teams like Oregon State end up punching you in the mouth or why BYU has been able to play with you for the last three years. Even You know, like these are the these are the growing problems that you're having and you're losing talent like Drake Jackson's going into the draft. That's probably your best defensive player on the team. Gone. And, and you know, you're not replacing that with anybody of the same ilk. You no know, wonder why you know you, you were giving up forty points, you know, in back to back games this year. No wonder you couldn't you know beat a, a beat a bad cow team. Like these these are the problems that USC has had for a while now, where they bring in these these you know quote unquote really nice looking you know recruiting classes, but the, the, there's no beef to the class. You know you know you know you it's like you put. Uh, dinner together, and you make the sides, and the drink looks great, but there's no entree. That's what's currently happening at USC. Like they're putting together these classes that look really good in the skill position room, at like the DB room, and things like that. And exactly, that, you know, and, and you know, you're putting those things together, and then we're looking at them come October 15th at Utah, and then they get blown out by 25, and everybody's like, "What happened?" It's so, a well, Utah has what USC doesn't. They they focused on the interior. They punched them in the mouth. They ran for 150 yards. Cameron Rising ran all over them. Like, these are the things that cons- consistently plague them, and that needs to change with Lincoln Riley at the helm, but I'm not so sure that they will because at Oklahoma, we Nick, when Nick went on a complete spree last year talking about how much defensive line talent Oklahoma had coming into the year, how much of that defensive line talent, actually produced to the range in which we thought they could last year you know we came into the year talking about oh ronnie perkins is a guy to look out for this year and this and this and that and the third and, you know and they're you know and they struggled offensively to protect caleb williams heck you we all remember the texas game half of all the plays caleb williams made was rolling out of the pocket because he had no pocket it into it in the first place so like these are the things that lincoln riley has to you know get better at doing in such a And he should be able to do it in such a talent-rich state as California is. But also, with that being the case, if he gets caught up in the in the the uh, the thoughts, you know, if people get caught up in the grandeur thoughts of USC going into this year because they're bringing in such elite talent at the skill positions, they'll be wondering why Travis Dye only ran for six hundred and seventy-five yards next year and why he couldn't break a thousand when he did it all of his, you know, all two years at, at Oregon
0: find any way to bring up the red river shootout don't you so thanks for that appreciate <laughs> no it No problem. so uh but uh spe- speaking of texas uh they brought in um that they were able to flip a wyoming transfer isaiah nayor from tennessee so um he has been limited overall in his production because of the offense they run at wyoming but uh he's pretty good number two next to Xavier worthy who did break out uh, in his freshman year as well. Uh, we also had Washington add former pit linebacker Cam Bright and promising running back Aaron Dumas from New Mexico. Kentucky uh, starting quarterback Cedric Dort and UCLA star Jay Shaw both transferred to Wisconsin. Arizona brought in another big-time transfer from Alabama. Wide receiver Javon Baker and highly rated defensive tackle Nesta Jade Silvera announced his intention to go to uh, Arizona State from miami so other big pieces on the move here as well nick absolutely and you know like like usc we always come up in
1: in conversation usc and texas unfortunately I mean, you know texas is going to be one always of teams, overrated they're going to be you know a top 25 preseason team probably ever probably since they, in they played power- the national
0: championship game they are <laughs> overrated both these teams
1: yeah, and and you know I I I do have some numbers to back up, uh, kind of the way too early thoughts on on these. Bill Bender, at the Sporting News, thank you to to him, put together a uh, composite of nine different way too early. You know the ones that come out right uh, as confetti is still on the uh, right the field there at the the national championship game. But I was looking at it because I I said you know I thought USC probably might be in in a lot of people's top. Uh, 25 or whatever they're 21st in this composite as high as number 13 uh, and wouldn't you know it Texas preseason number 20 uh, as high as 16 in in yeah. these uh, rankings so we're gonna yeah we're gonna be you know they're they're gonna be in that same conversation again next year potentially but if they both keep landing guys like this and Isaiah Hayer is you know an incredibly explosive playmaking wide receiver. I mean, he impressed a lot of people playing at Wyoming and not necessarily an offense that uh, at least in, in recent years in its current era, they would be run first. Yeah. And second, you know, run run first, run second. Yeah. Uh, If they, if they can get away with it, absolutely. Or occasionally, you know, throw a bomb to Isaiah Nair and he'll average 21, almost 22 yards of care or uh, a reception. And so then you think, OK, you know, uh, kind of it's interesting because it's it's a little like Jermaine Burton where he thinks, OK, you know, this offense isn't utilizing me to the maximum, you know, my maximum potential. I'm going to go to Alabama. You know, Isaiah Nair, I'm sure, had that thought. Hey, I, I put together a pretty impressive uh, highlight reel here, put together some some uh, uh, impressive statistics Now it's time to take things up a notch and, and catch a a few more eyeballs at a higher level. And Texas is certainly a place where he's going to have an opportunity to do that. It looked like, you know, Tennessee, you mentioned he had flipped and, and that Tennessee offense uh, I think is going to be one of the uh, highest scoring, most productive, you know, offenses in the country next year. Texas has that potential, uh, especially with worthy coming back with Bijan Robinson a top five, you know, preseason Heisman type guy, and they're they're putting some pieces together as well. But some of the others you mentioned, I think, are uh, kind of sneaky good additions. I think Wisconsin adding two power five starters in the secondary for what we already expected to be a solid defense that um, you know could could certainly use a, a little depth. Could probably use. Uh, another starter coming in but to get guys like that who might not be you know big time names uh like some of these others that we've mentioned going to to Alabama or leaving Georgia uh but finding some decent you know uh, maybe a little under the radar guy who who might help solidify a unit to to make Wisconsin a legitimate uh whether a, a Big 10 West favorite or legitimate Big 10 title contender i think they're going to be um, you know, had that potential to, to try to match up at least with an Ohio state who we expect to be one of the most explosive offenses in the country next year. They're going to need guys like Cedric Dorton and, and Jay Salvis to uh, step up and, and play a pretty big role there. I was interested to see the guys at Washington. Uh, Aaron Dumas probably is a name, not a whole lot of people know, but was the leading receiver or excuse me, leading rusher at New Mexico as a true freshman last year. And you know, I'm not sure he's going to be the go-to guy at Washington, but it's it's an interesting move to make. Cam Bright, it seemed like uh, you know was a multi-year starter at Pitt. Maybe lost a little bit of ground on uh, kind of that that full-time starting role, but has been incredibly productive as a highly-rated guy over a 90 in our uh, individual player ratings. Washington could use a little help there because they, in addition to uh, being a team that obviously struggled at times. Is going to be losing some really talented defensive players, some through transfer, some through the NFL draft. So that's an interesting one to me. Uh, the you know Javon Baker, uh, not you know couldn't break into a uh, a major role at Alabama, and even with the guys departing, probably looked around and thought I'm going to be a little lower on the you know in the pecking order here than than I would like. Kentucky had a lot of success with a, a transfer last year in Wondell Robinson, not saying, you know, Javon Baker is uh, Wandale Robinson. Plus they already added Travion Robinson, who is a, a, a kind of a little bit more in that Wandale Robinson mold as a transfer from Virginia tech, but that gives, you know, Kentucky, uh, a pretty solid one, two combo there. And they are going to have to replace multiple guys at receiver to give Will Levis, uh, you know, some, some options to work with because he's, got a, a lot of potential in that Kentucky offense, I think um, has, still has room to improve uh, as they've transitioned with a new play caller, uh, you know, from 2021 going into his second year. And the the Nestor Jade Silvera was a unexpected move, I'd say. I mean, he's, he been a multi-year starter at Miami has been uh, was banged up a bit this year, but has been productive. He's a 100 rated player in our numbers and he's from Florida. So to go to Arizona state was, uh, not necessarily what I expected, uh, but an interesting move and that Arizona state, you know, uh, coaching staff already. So NFL, uh, heavy for NFL experience. And then just today, I don't know if you guys saw, they added Brian Billick as a, uh, as an analyst, so yeah. not only do you, what is that four former NFL head coaches on staff? Hers, I mean, you know,
0: uh, temp, Tempe is a nice place to live. Oh, sure. I believe it. Phoenix believe is it. a nice place to live. So I think a lot of these, uh, you know, coaches will retire, move to the Phoenix <laughs> area and go, what can I do? You know, yeah. well, yeah. what can I do? And and, and so they you go coach for ASU with uh, with Herm, who, who knows how long Herm is going to be there.
1: So, sure. You know.
0: And I'm not sure any of these places- guys have,
1: you know, uh, people knocking on their door for yeah, coaching jobs exactly. But That's I Felix, uh, right. is a super bowl winning head coach and yeah. knows a lot of people in the league. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could understand at least how I can understand why guys might want to go to Arizona state to be a little closer to that and think, think that that, uh, or could make an argument that that would help prepare them for the next level. So I don't know. It's, it's just a, a side thought as I often have, but, uh, but that was an unexpected move, but, Arizona State, you know, needed some. Uh, they're going to have to replace uh, multiple pieces. It looks like three, three of their top four uh, defensive linemen are, are off to the NFL or out of eligibility. So uh, you expect to pencil him in as a starter right away. And you know, I've mentioned before, not just at USC, but uh, a lot of places. I feel like in 2022, across the country, I should say the offensive and defensive lines are going to be a lot thinner or at least a lot more inexperienced. And so guys who have starting experience, especially like Silvera, you know, a P five starting experience, multi-year starting experience are going to be in, in high, high demand. And so, you know, there's going to be uh, plenty of guys who might not be household names. I mean, Silvera, I think uh, maybe, maybe casual uh, ACC fans, might have heard his name quite a bit, but maybe your everyday <laughs> college football fan might not. But guys like that are going to be really, really highly sought after, and might not make a whole lot of headlines, but uh, are going to be a big part of whether or not you know some of these teams are able to contend for conference championships, and and uh, going to be going to be an important piece of the 2022 season. So wanted to certainly make sure we mentioned him and and some of these others because. There are definitely programs making a lot more headlines, but some of these lesser known guys are underrated under the, the radar type names, uh, are going to go a long way to, to whether or not some of these teams are successful next year.
0: Xavier, your thoughts on uh, the these transfers? And yes, I, I'm sure you have a lot to say about USC and Texas being overrated. I saw your face while we were talking about it. No, never. No,
2: I, yeah, I mean, yeah. You're always
0: reserved. Never uh, throw your opinions around. I I understand.
2: No, just like Wisconsin being overrated. But whatever. You know, hey, guys. it, It is what it is. This is what happens every offseason. We're going to we're going to get these way too early 2020s and we're going to get the spring game 2020s, right? Or 2022s, right? Like as soon as somebody sees Quinn Ewers throw a pass, that's not a part of the Texas, you know, the, uh, the Texas media department is going to be like, "Yeah, Pentro Texas in for a college football playoff berth." Like th- that is I mean, like that is just what's going to happen if Caleb Williams is going to USC like I said a couple of minutes ago, same situation. They're going to be like, "Well, USC Pac-12 champions." Like but, this is just what But what's can going we
1: rule week. it out? I mean yes. if Quinn Ewers yes. was what the number 1 or number 2 highest rated recruit ever right?
2: I, maybe, I don't care.
1: Maybe yeah, can we can we say that we are that we do, I, 100% no Texas won't go to the playoff next year? See that's yes. that's what draws me in a little bit because I yeah I hate they're kind of the way I was talking about with USC I was like mm-hmm. man I really don't I would really rather not have them in our top 20. But you know, we're in a different era of college football now where you can completely revamp the roster and get the most talented group of guys together to make a push. And and yeah, USC has a history of being overrated in the preseason. Yeah, Texas does, too. But can we rule out that, hey, maybe they find that quarterback that was missing, whether it's Caleb Williams or whether
0: it's you uh, can't Quinn rule Ewers. it out. But they shouldn't be given that respect every before year, the year, Nick. Because like, this okay. is what happened. No, I understand. The you know, I understand. Yeah. but see, we're, our
1: our ratings don't have opinion. Oh, I know that. So, yeah, I'd, yeah. so I'd rather. Sure, sure. You sure. know. So so then I'm thinking, okay, we want to to provide the most accurate uh, projection we can, and in you know in the preseason last year, I feel like we did a pretty good job of that. So I'm wondering you know one I don't want us to overrate them and they end up falling flat on their face again obviously because that would make right. us look bad but if they are you know if they get it figured out and if they do put together the most uh talented roster I want us to give the most accurate depiction of that and yeah maybe they right. haven't earned that on the field yet and maybe their past success kind of colors my own personal opinion of what I rather those be top 10 teams but if they both emerge as you know, conference championship uh, contenders because they've right. you know found this uh, the the best quarterback they've had in a long time, or the the you know built through the transfer portal a, a talented group of guys around him. I don't want to miss out on that either. So but that's also, also the
0: difference between an analytical formula like you have and Scott Bogman's top twenty-five teams. You know, going into the season, completely. right? So that that sure. I think that's yeah. the difference. That, that we're talking about is that it's the pundits, you know, not the systems so much. Uh, o- Over analyzing USC and Texas because they're big time programs, and that's it. but they also the the analytical systems are, are lockstep with those because of the recruiting classes they bring in. Right. So you know, a, yeah. that's, a, that's it's, a it's a very big point, you know, to come across. The talent is there; it's unlocking the talent that neither one of these schools have really been able to do uh, since. They played each other in the national championship. I was in middle school. And Vince, like, Shut up. Come on. Stop.
2: This is the same yeah. thing that happened in college basketball for like day. the last 10 years, right? Like UNC and Indiana consistently got picked in the top 10. And then finally, everybody was like, yeah, you know, Indiana and North Carolina really suck. And it was like, yeah, they do. They're not good anymore. like the, the the years of Tyler Hansbro and Cody Zeller are done. Like you've got to eventually say, look at yourself in the mirror as a you know as a college football uh, fan and analyst and expert and you know mathematician and all the all the sources you could possibly have and go, hey, maybe these universities just don't have it in the tank anymore, no matter who they're bringing in. Maybe it's just something wrong with the university for a second. Like I'm sorry, but I, but have, I don't know but you know, have
1: North Carolina and Indiana brought in the highest yes. rated recruit ever
2: yes like you like
1: UNC. The, the equivalent of quarterback and like like, and like UNC there, was
2: bringing in UNC was bringing in top two three four classes year after year after year and they weren't even making the tournament like not even scratching Indiana same situation like they were having like a game winner against Kentucky was the most impressive thing that they've done in the last decade like this is like and that was in a regular season like th- at some point we have to look at these schools and go you know what as great as the teams that they're bringing are in, we've got to find a nomer. We've got to put a mulligan. We've got to find some type of way to uh, to, to quantify not developing talent. Like that's got to be something that's quantifiable at some point because otherwise we're going to continue to put our heads in the sand every year when we're like, oh, yeah, USC was ranked 16 to start the year. Now they're unranked in week four. Like, yeah, no, 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 duh, because USC is not a good program anymore. And they've got to turn the page at some point, Right. The last time USC was relevant, people were wearing Reggie Bush jerseys, and like Matt Leinert was the was the top three pick in the draft. Like we've got to eventually say to ourselves, this isn't the case anymore. You know, it's the same thing that I, I, maybe this happened when you guys were my age, but when Nebraska finally fell off, like at some point Nebraska just wasn't Nebraska anymore, and now we don't think of Nebraska. And there's kids now that will be born in this year of our Lord 2022 that are like Nebraska sucks. And we'll have any clue. Just Scott Casey Thompson,
0: they brought in some big-time uh, transfers as well. Xavier oh,
2: Scott. Nebraska, it, it being back to the Tom Brady. No, just it, gaslighting. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. <laughs> but, like, that's what I mean. It's like eventually some of these universities that we look at that have been a top college football at one point or another just aren't there anymore. And, and, and I think it's funny when we talk about, like, teams like Texas and USC because the difference in those two teams versus, like, a Tennessee, right – is like the rest of the conference doesn't really keep them in check either. Like the only person that can keep Texas in check is Oklahoma. But like when Tennessee hit a bad patch, everybody in the SEC was like, guys, guys, guys. Just letting you know, Tennessee sucks now. So stop the stop the hype. The the Philip Fulmer days are over. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Auburn fans were I mean, really I'll just quick remind you that the Texas
0: lost to Kansas this year. So I know, but uh, like yeah. even
2: then, like people are ready to put Texas back on the horse because Quinn Ewers is their quarterback. Because That's the only true. team that can say anything to Texas in the Big Twelve about having any any success is Oklahoma. So like we also fall into that where like USC is like, yeah, we haven't won a Pac twelve championship in, in, in a little bit, but guess what? what you going to say, Washington, Washington state, shut up. Like Colorado, who are you talking about? You were in the big 12, 10 years ago. Like there's no, there's no in conference, like checks and balances either when we talk about some of these programs.
0: Well, Oklahoma's won a national championship, you know, so has uh, Bama and LSU and Auburn and Georgia all in the sec. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, you're talking about national championship teams versus contenders, you know, uh, Oklahoma State hasn't, Baylor hasn't, Washington hasn't, you know, uh, UCLA hasn't, so n- none of these teams uh, can can walk in with a trophy swinging around their neck, but uh, I don't know how we got off on all this stuff, but uh, I mean, obviously, Isaiah Nayor uh, transferring to... I, just, uh,
1: I, I put USC and Texas just a little too close there on the... Yep. And I had to (laughs) talk about it
0: that that's, you know what, we're going to blame Nick for this one. So because I can't not talk about it. So anyway, your thoughts on on the rest of the moves uh, here uh, from the transfer portal that weren't george Bama, and and uh and all that stuff so. yeah
2: no, i i i love the move for for a lot of first off can we talk about the we're seeing like a, almost not a mass exodus but we're seeing a lot of kids leaving to the west coast maybe they just want warmer weather i'm just saying like you know outside of really Nesta jay silvera who's leaving miami to go to arizona state which is humid heat to dry heat i want to see how he handles that first and foremost uh you know a lot of these kids are, are you know heading to the west coast and i and you know i, I think that We're seeing more importantly, I think we're seeing a lot of these kids understand kind of how they fit into systems more than anything and where their talent maybe not have been on display at a Miami like uh, Nesta Jay Silvera or like Cam Bright at Pitt, who's going to go to Washington, probably be one of the best better players, excuse me, in the Pac-12. And it's because of, I think, they're understanding maybe the difference in the physical style of football that they're playing from one conference to the next. Kind of how we talk about in this podcast all the time. Like, hey, if I'm a receiver, I'm transferring to the Pac-12 or the Big 12. Why? Because they get the ball in my hands time after time after time, right? Like, I'm not going to go play in in some of the SEC country because they don't throw the football. I think a lot of these kids are starting to realize that and realize that even, you know, um, that even like, you know, Cedric Dort, who leaves Kentucky, going to Wisconsin. He understands that that defense has been really, really good, and is going to be better with him on it. And he's now going to be bolstered because of it. If Wisconsin has a top ten defense, he's going to be a part of that top ten defense, lending more people to watch his film and possibly being drafted. Like that is just, I think kids are getting smarter with the way that they're thinking in the transfer portal, and they're making moves. Uh, you know, according to that, not just oh I'm trying to go home or oh I'm trying to make moves to be closer to my family. I think they're thinking even in a you know in a system standpoint, which is getting and it, we're seeing. Typically we see that with like quarterbacks. Now we're starting to see that with position players and skill players, and even on the offensive defensive line, which I think is a very impressive thing for these kids to even realize that that's even a thing that they could do because they're playing every Saturday. So they're not even watching these teams on a consistent basis, but they do know this. Um, Something that you brought up, I think it was Scott about Arizona state. And I do, I just a quick aside. I I wanted to say when you were talking about it, but I I didn't get a chance because we ended up going into that tangent. When you, when you brought up, you know, Herm not being there for a while, what are the? Are you saying that because you think Herm will leave? Or I think, it, think it, it,
0: because of the investigation uh, on him. and That's and, fair. Because I was thinking stuff, to
2: so. myself, I was like, if you lose Herm and you lose that a whole coaching staff, where is Arizona State? In yeah, I, I don't Chicago.
0: think it's what Arizona State wants to Got do. You. But if 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 he gets suspended, you know, uh, for an exorbitant amount of time because they he is found to have been, you know improper recruiting stuff during all of COVID and all that stuff, then they'll just have to bounce him. I mean, he'll probably resign anyway because he's an older head coach in in, uh, college football, but uh, he'll be gone is kind of the point. And I think Pierce will be gone and a lot of his assistants will leave as well. So I think that's kind of, you know, uh, I know just because I have, you know, my buddy's son uh, is on the team, his stepson. uh, I, I have a little, bit of, you right. know, uh, second-hand, third-hand stuff from the team. So uh, I I know that he's not planning on leaving, but if he's forced to leave, that would obviously change things in, uh, in Tempe. Understood. That's all.
2: No, no, that's it. So, and I, yeah. yeah.
0: Now, I mean, yeah, a lot of good transfers. And look, we were trending towards the shortest CFB winning ad show ever. I don't know if we hit it. We just barely cross an hour here. We're at like an hour six, an hour five, depending on editing stuff like that. So, but I mean, this has got to be our shortest show in. Got to be up there. Uh, I mean, maybe history, but at least the last year, right, Nick? This is yeah, definitely we'll, the shortest one.
1: Well, rest up because uh, I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure next week will be because it will be our third annual first year head coach draft, unless. Some, uh, you know, job comes open unexpectedly uh, between now and then, but we have 29 head coaches to draft. And then uh, also did want to mention that um, starting in February. So the day after uh, national signing day, which is February 2nd, uh, we'll start our 130 plus, I think we'll get at least 133 with uh, the FCS transitioning teams, but, written previews will start that, that uh, Wednesday. So I wanted to, to get through signing day and then uh, we'll touch on them a little bit. We were talking before this about uh, kind of the plan on how to touch on, on the teams and the previews, but uh, be on the lookout for that. If you're a Patreon uh, subscriber, uh, if not, we're going to make the first one free and available to all so you can kind of get a, an idea of what uh, you would be signing up for if you'd like to support us and have access to that on patreon.com slash CFB winning edge, but uh, be on the lookout. So next week, probably have a, a chance, especially depending on if there's any news we have to hit ahead of time, but the big chunk of next week's show will be uh, that first year player draft, but then uh, previews will be starting here pretty soon after that.
0: All right. Well, look, you, know, you guys know us. Lots and lots of college football action coming at you every single week, so stick with us. Uh, but follow us on Twitter. In the meantime, I'm at Bogman Sports. Nick is at Winning Edge. Xavier is at Xavier underscore Trish, We'll see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.
1: Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.